We come now to the topic of baptism, and my plan is to camp out on this topic for a while because it is, it is such a, a, a topic of confusion today. And just to remind you, chapter 27 of the Confession really set the groundwork. We had an introductory chapter on the sacraments in general, and we established that uh, the, the word sacrament means pledge. The, the sacraments are pledges, they are promises from God himself. And in this world, Christ left us his word as our infallible guide for faith and life, but he also left us two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to help us to be visual aids, pictures of the gospel, representations of Christ and his work of salvation. They've been given to us because he loves us and he wants to make the cross and his finished work more real to us and help us to understand it more. Now after the confession introduces the sacraments in chapter 27, it devotes one chapter each to baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it starts with baptism and the section that we read, section 1, it, it starts by establishing that baptism meets the biblical definition of a sacrament. It is ordained and instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ as a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. It's there to signify and seal the truths of the gospel, of redemption in Jesus Christ. And John Murray, in, in his book, entitled Christian Baptism, he, he notes the threefold significance in baptism. He says it portrays our union with Christ, our renewal by the Holy Spirit, and our cleansing from sin. Now this is what the confession expresses with a little bit of different wording. It says we are ingrafted into Christ, talks about regeneration and remission of sins. Baptism admits a person into the visible church. As the confession said, it points to the surrender of our lives to Christ to walk in newness of life. And in Matthew chapter 28, which records the Great Commission, that commission that Jesus gave to his church before he ascended into heaven, Jesus makes clear that baptism is to be accompanied by the preaching of the word, by teaching, and it is to be continued until he comes again. Now, what I would like to do today is just, you'll see by, what, what did I call this? The basics of baptism or the foundations of baptism. Uh, just do a brief overview. And what I would like from you this week is, my email is in the bulletin, Email me and let me know what, what questions would you like answered? Um, what topics regarding baptism would you like to uh, see covered and clarified? And that will help me uh, as I prepare this study. I was, I was telling Janine this week, uh, this is an overwhelming topic to try to figure out where to start and, and how to handle it. And so I think you can, you can help me with that. 
Uh, let me know what you would like to hear, what you would like to have clarified. But for today, uh, the basics. Let's think about the basics, and we'll, we'll walk through uh, these sections in the confession and, and think about um, the biblical basis for them. And you'll notice sections 2 and 3 <clears throat> address the, the issue of how it is to be performed. Since it is a, a ceremonial washing, uh, it obviously requires the use of water. Section 2 says the outward element to be used in the sacrament is water. And that passage in Ezekiel, as well as others, um, tell us that water in the Bible represents the washing of regeneration, the, the cleansing from sin, the forgiveness that Christ brings. It is also to be performed, and I'm using this word specifically, into the name of the triune God. Into. The party is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. We are baptized into Jesus' name. That's the term that Jesus used in the Great Commission. There are, there are two different Greek words. One means in, one means into, and Jesus used the word into. And regarding this specific choice of language that Jesus used, uh, Roland Ward, who has a commentary on the confession, wrote this. Baptism speaks of a new relationship being cemented with the one into whose name you are baptized. This is where the symbolism of union with Christ comes in. In salvation, we come into Jesus. We are one with him in baptism. We are baptized into his name, reflecting that union with Christ. And when we think about what the covenant of grace is, well, it involves a relationship between the living God and redeemed Sinners, a relationship that is confirmed and signified and sealed by baptism. Now, section 3 goes on to speak about the mode of baptism. It says, Dipping of the person into water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. I think we need, we need to remember <clears throat> from the outset, I, I've always taken the, the position that because this is a ceremonial washing, we can't get too caught up in the amount of water used. It, it's symbolic. The amount of water, in the end, doesn't really matter. Reformed denominations have historically practiced what the confession outlines, pouring or sprinkling. And in my time in the ministry, I've had people who are fine with being sprinkled and people who want me to actually pour some water on them. And it's fine. The point is, it is ceremonial. It signifies and seals something, some truth of the gospel. And this idea of sprinkling or pouring, uh, that finds its roots in the Old Testament. We read of that 
We heard that language in Ezekiel 36 where the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. That was a common practice in the Old Testament. And I think, and I'll add this, and and let me qualify this by saying I grew up um, in Baptist churches. Um, I, I was, when I was baptized, I was dunked, I was immersed. But I want us to, to think about this. I, we can very easily read the scriptures and um, we can fall into the era of what's called semantic anachronisms. Semantic anachronisms, I think you know, semantics has to do with words, and an anachronism is, is an error in timing. And I think too often we could read our understanding of words and practices into the Bible text that simply would have been foreign to the original readers. And so think about this. And I read this somewhere and it became very real to me uh, spending a couple years living in the Arizona desert. Palestine has a very similar climate to Arizona. And we think about immersion And, you know, we may see pictures or in the movies of people walking down to the Jordan River. Well, water was not plentiful in that climate. Um, Immersion would have been very difficult if it not for a couple times of year when that river flowed fully. And and moreover, we, we can read in from Colossians this idea of baptism signifying our being buried with Jesus. And what do we think of? We think of a hole in the ground and going down. Well, in the ancient world, that's, they didn't bury people in the ground. They buried them into caves. And so when we, we have to be careful when trying to form biblical arguments for practices to make sure we're not reading our modern understanding of words and practices uh, into the Bible text. So how it is to be performed with water, and through sprinkling or pouring. But guess what? If you were immersed, it counts. (laughs) Secondly, who is to be baptized? And this tends to be the big question. The confession says, not only those who do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. So this gets to the heart of who should be baptized. For adults, it is those who profess faith in and obedience to Jesus Christ. We see this um, in the book of Acts, where adults who hear and believe the gospel, they are baptized on the basis of their profession of faith. And I think it's important to remember for Pedo-Baptists, for those who believe in infant baptism, well, we also believe that adults should be baptized. I think it can, it can be a bit of a misnomer in the argument. We do believe that adults should be baptized, and we long for more adults to be baptized because it means that people are coming to faith in Jesus. But baptism, it's not just for Uh, believing adults, but for their children. Now again, this has been a point of disagreement among Protestants for many years. 
And we need to understand when considering this issue that the biblical basis for infant baptism, it's not based on a, a proof text here or there, but on a broad biblical theology of how God deals with his people by way of covenant. Since the fall, God has dealt with his people through the covenant of grace. He revealed that covenant to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham. And to Abraham, he gave the sign of the covenant, the seal of circumcision. And we established in the previous section the connection between circumcision and baptism and the, and the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And the fundamental meaning of circumcision, and we, we saw that in the uh, Colossians 2 passage we read, the, fu the fundamental meaning of circumcision was the same of that of baptism. It was never a sign of outward holiness, but a sign and seal of the need for inner cleansing by God himself. With the coming of Jesus, circumcision was changed to baptism, but the meaning remained the same, and with the change of the outward ordinance, there was no indication that now the believer's of children, or the children of believers were now excluded from that covenant sign. We'll think about this, this more in future studies, but I want you to think about this. If that were the case, if baptism were, were, was not for believers and their children or believers and their offspring, then that would be to say that at the day of Pentecost, that now the privileges of believers were now less in Jesus Christ than they were in the Old Covenant. A high percentage of the baptisms recorded in the New Testament are household baptisms, pointing to the fact that God continued to deal with the children of his covenant children. That's who is to be baptized. But section 5 uh, makes a very clear statement that baptism does not save. Uh, section 5 says, Although it be a great sin to contemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it that no person can be regenerated or saved without it, or that all that are baptized are undoubtedly Regenerate. Now this was uh, clearly responding to the Roman Catholic teaching about baptism, which uh, still lives on today in some degree in some Lutheran and Anglican doctrines. Uh, and here is, we, we touched on this a bit in our, in our, our study of chapter 27, but here's the, the careful balance we need to strike. Baptism is commanded by Christ. It's a big deal. And therefore, it's a sin to neglect it or to despise it or to minimize it. On the other hand, baptism in itself does not produce salvation. It is a sign 
and seal of the inner cleansing that is only brought by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's why a person like the repentant thief on the cross who had no chance to be baptized, he was assured by Jesus that he would be with him that day in paradise. But on the other hand, the confession underlines that not everyone who receives baptism, whether an adult or a child, is born again. Baptism is only effective for those whom God has sovereignly and graciously granted saving faith. So it doesn't save. But finally, the efficacy of baptism. And this is section 6 and 7. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it it is ministered, yet notwithstanding... By the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto according to the counsel of God's own will in his appointed time. And then uh, section 7, the sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person. The sacraments, including baptism, they are means of grace. And to understand that and the importance of it, we need to remember the functions of the sacraments. They are for the confirmation and strengthening of faith in Jesus Christ. They do not operate in and of themselves separately from the word of God. Salvation comes by hearing and responding and believing the gospel and the Holy Spirit, working that great regeneration within us. But when a person has believed, well then baptism has an impact on us and on our lives, and it's an assurance to us of God's grace and his cleansing. And I think this is an important point as well, so please tuck this in your, in your brains for later. You notice the statement about the function of baptism is not restricted to the time when it's actually administered. For an adult believer, the experience of being baptized is remembered, and that memory serves to strengthen our faith. But someone who's been baptized as an infant, well, they, they come to know about it later. And they, they get to be part of the covenant community and hear the preaching of the word and see the sacraments observed. And when they are drawn to Christ and they savingly come to him, they look back on something that they had no involvement in and they think, wow, my God is gracious. I think one of the things we struggle with with infant baptism actually underlines a key point of the gospel. That is, when we were powerless, when we understood nothing like an infant, the Lord saved us. And for those of you who are baptized as infants, isn't it amazing to 
to think of the, the Lord set his mark on you before you knew anything. A cleansing that was symbolized later on became a reality in your life. So the Lord has always intended for his sacraments to work with the word. The word is what informs our understanding of the sacraments. And because baptism signifies the saving grace of God in our lives, which has a definite beginning, and because it points to the once for all, one time, never to be repeated, sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then if those things are true, if it's symbolizing those things, then the confession says that baptism is to be administered only once, reflecting the one-time sufficient work of Christ that is effectual for our cleansing. So I hope that's a good introduction to to the subject of of baptism. And as we approach this subject, let's, let's keep in mind that baptism is a sign and seal of the gospel, but it also points to our unity as God's people. Let's let that frame our thoughts and our discussions on this subject. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you might use these words to instruct us and teach us and Lord, ultimately lead our minds to Christ, our Savior, who has cleansed us and the Spirit who has granted us that great regeneration. Lord, bless us, we pray, as we begin a new week. We pray, Lord, that we would go in the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might live for his glory. We pray in the good name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.